Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. All right, so we are going to ask, Wade Bortz asked, my wife and I would like to know your thoughts, who we will be ruling and reigning over in the millennial period. Okay, so we know we will be reigning, it says those who suffer with Christ shall reign with him. Uh, so all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Uh, where all believers go through some persecution, a lot from the spiritual world, some from the uh, unbelievers. Who will be reigning over? Uh, the scriptures are very clear in Zechariah chapter 12 and Zechariah chapter 14 that you have non-believers that go into the millennial period. And we know that at Christ's second coming, the Jews see him whom they pierced. They didn't, they weren't raptured because these are those who are converted in the day who say, blessed is he who comes in the, the Lord. And they wrote, wow, it's Jesus. And they repent. And then after they repent, a fountain of cleansing after chapter 12, chapter 13, verse 1 is opened up to them. They're cleansed. So you have non-believing Jews go into the wilderness. Uh, I'm sorry, going to uh, the millennial period. Then in chapter 14, after Christ comes back and his feet stand on the Mount of Olives and they cleave, the people that are left from the nations that that, that went up against Jerusalem, there's going to be people that are left. Uh, they will be told to go up and worship the Lord once a year in the Feast of Booths. But guess what? They aren't converted yet because plagues can come upon them if they don't go and worship. Plagues can't come upon us believers because we will reign with Christ for a thousand years. We are in immortal, imperishable, incorruptible bodies, according to 1 Corinthians 15 at the resurrection, verses 50 through 54. So we'll be reigning with him in Jerusalem. We're not going to go up to worship him. We're reigning with him. So these folks will have to come up every year. And if they don't, they'll be, they'll be judged. So we'll be reigning over the non-believers who have come into uh, the millennial period, uh, Jews and Gentiles that have come in as uh, the Jews will be converted, but the Gentile nations that probably those who didn't take the mark of the beast because they're under the age of accountability, and uh, so those that are under the age of accountability and so forth, they'll live to, if they die at 100 years old, the Bible says that'll be like dying like a kid, you know, so live a lot longer, like probably Methuselah, Noah, and others. So that's who will reign over. Well, praise the Lord. That was pretty quick. Nonetheless, we have Tabitha Evans' question, and she asks, thank you so much uh, for talking about this. I love discussing end times. And she says in Revelation 27 through 9, it says, When the thousand years come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations, called Gog and Magog, in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for battle, a mighty army as numberless as sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up in the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down, and the attacking armies consumed them. This is not something that can happen in moments, as Satan is not omnipresent. So reading this straight, I believe that this may very well take place over a multitude of years. Could we be looking at another 2,000 years for Satan to deceive the four corners of the world as he has done over the past two millennium? I'd like to know your thoughts on this, Joe. Yeah, and it's a thoughtful question, and she's obviously thought about the answer. And, uh, and I have to say, sister, there's no clear scripture that delineates the amount of time. Uh, so you're surmising that it would take some time because he's not omnipresent to gather the world together. Uh, what we have to look at, though, too, is that will the world go back with regard to its technological understanding, or will it be, you know, like it was in Eden, where they're, they're living hundreds of years, so you could talk about the accumulation of knowledge, and 
Do they have access to the same knowledge that we have now, which allows the powers that be and the media and so forth to basically influence the world at a whim, almost, you know? And uh, so we re it really depends on the amount of technology that's used and what Satan has access to in regard to, uh, you know, uh, who he's, you know, and, and the amount of spirit beings that he's using to influence the world. So it's really hard uh, because there's no scripture, you know, it's easy when I get questions because if you know, if we're in the word together, right, we can go scripture to scripture. But when there's not a specific reference that says this is how long, I, I, we have a basic rule of thumb, basically rule of scripture is not to go, as Paul says, don't go beyond what's written. So I don't want to go as beyond what's written. You know, I mean, there's books and people writing articles about what the seven thunders said that John was told not to write down, but somehow they got the answer, right? And it's like, <laughs> no, don't go beyond what's written and don't run ahead. First John as well uh, says, don't run ahead and uh, cease to abide in Christ. So I just want to encourage you guys to uh, understand that we can't always give an answer. We can't give an answer if it's not in Scripture. We won't. But you can surmise. And it says a short time, though. Do you notice that? A short time. But even when it says a short time, we're like, you know, Revelation 1-1, right? Things come shortly come to pass. And it's been 2,000 years since the book of Revelation was written, almost 2,000, about 1,900 years or so. So it definitely could be, a, a, you know, a couple thousand years. But here's the good news. We're trusting Jesus right now. We're following him. So when he returns, we caught up to meet him in the air. There'll be this reunion with all our all, all of our, our our family in Christ, right? And we'll ever be with him, and we'll be in a state of bliss with him, reigning with him forever. So it won't affect us however long it is, because we'll be with Christ at that time. Uh, but we know the millennium is a thousand years, but this happens after the millennium, where he's set short for he's let loose for a short time. That short time could though be sh literally short. I mean, the way that we might understand it, because it seems like it may be being contrasted with the thousand years there, which would be a longer duration of time. So to me, I just, it, we'll see what happens, but make sure you see it from Jesus' vantage point. Amen. And great question, sister. And I, I think I could be correct, but I think we may be meeting Tabitha in New York when we go out there oh, uh, for the conference. The I That'd think awesome. so. And you, Tabitha, if you're on there, you could let me know if I'm wrong on that one. But Nonetheless, we have Daniel Smith's question before we get to the main topic point of discussion for this video. And Daniel asked question, will it just be Christians that the Antichrist has put to death during the tribulation? I ask this because there are so many people at each other's throats over many different issues, not just religious reasons. So I'm curious how this will play out when the Antichrist comes to power as in, how does he get everyone other than true Christians to follow him? People fight and hate each other for so many reasons today. I don't see how they will all end up following the same person. Right. And that's where, as, as Christians, we're different. We don't hate other people. We love them. He said, love your enemies, right? We have agape, by, shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But in regard to the question is, uh, uh, yes, I believe there'll be people that'll be killed other than Christians because you go through the book of Daniel and you see that the Antichrist, you know, from the north, I mean, you see the, the wars, he subjugates the world to himself. There's 10 nations that give their power to him, but all the world will worship the beast in, in Revelation 13, 8, Revelation 17, 8. Uh, and every nation, kindred, and tongue will worship in Revelation chapter 13, verses 5 through 7. And he'll put the saints to death, Revelation chapter 13, uh, verse 5. There will be a remnant, those who are, are alive and remain. Uh, uh, that word remain in the Greek can, is, it also means remnant. Uh, we'll, we caught up to meet him in the air when he comes. So there will be those who are alive at his return, uh, but many believers will be put to death. Uh, we know right now when you look at hostile regimes, whether it was the Nazis who persecuted Jews, but also persecuted Christians and, and gypsies and uh, so homosexuals even, 
Uh, you also look at Stalin, you know, persecuting a lot of Christians, but not just Christians. You look at what's going on in China right now. You, they have they have basic concentration camps, uh, including heavy Muslims in there, you know. But I think it's going to be a little different in this context is that those who res- refuse to love the truth, Revel- uh, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, those who refuse to love the truth, accept Christ, love him, and follow him, it says they'll be given over to strong delusion. Mm-hmm. They'll believe the lie. So I believe Muslims and everybody else that's rejecting uh, who Jesus is and, and does not want to bow the knee to the, to the, the true one biblical God except what Christ did for them on the cross, uh, whatever their ism is, you know, they're going to end up following the Antichrist. Uh, and uh, though, because there's going to be this false prophet, it says that looks like a lamb, but speaks like a dragon. He'll do these incredible miracles. He'll bring fire down from heaven to get people to worship the beast, and he'll deceive the world. He's in fact, he's a major player. That's in Revelation 13 and in Revelation 19 when Christ comes back and defeats the Antichrist and the false prophet. It says the false prophet who did miracles, you know, to get people to worship him, deceive the world. So it's going to be a very, very powerful spiritual deception. And if you are not loving Jesus. Uh, you'll be prey to that deception when it comes. So it's important to understand that uh, everybody is, for the, is going to follow this delusion except true, genuine Christians. Now, there's some holdouts who just because they just hate authority and, and, and what have you that just will refuse to bow the knee to the Antichrist. I'm not going to say that, you know, in some remote parts of the world, they're not, you know, watching the fire come down from heaven and all caught up. You know, it's, it's hard to say. I can't be dogmatic on that. But I'm saying for the most part, the world's going to worship him. The earth dwellers, it says. And uh, there may be some holdouts, but they're just damned as the people with the mark of the beast if they don't turn to Jesus. So he's the only answer. So hopefully that helps. Yeah, amen. And you know what? You left yourself precisely 45 minutes to oh, get to this answer. All right. So I want to see if you can do that because this is an, <laughs> it's an important question. I think last question. time everybody bet on me not to finish. The one hour, on yeah. Me. The one hour going through the whole book of Revelation. And I'll put that link in the it. description as you're answering this so if people we can be blessed the entire book of Revelation. Yeah. And that's a very difficult job for me to do that in an hour. So I, I do, <laughs> but, uh, you know, look at it as a challenge. But praise the Lord nonetheless. And this question, as we talked about in the very beginning, this question is one that people have used to claim that Jesus was a false prophet. This is a question, uh, as Joe already mentioned, if you weren't listening earlier, I see we're well over 200 people live now. and It was a lot less earlier. So we're asking this at the right time for so many of you that may have this question in terms of, hey man, this is a problem for me. I have a struggle with this. And I'm gonna read the question for you guys and it would hopefully, you guys would come to a better understanding of what's going on. And I know Joe had planned, we had talked about this when this question originally came the first time. We had talked about doing multiple shows on this just for the Good Fight Radio Show. And please guys, we have a secondary uh, channel. I know you're on Good Fight Ministries right now, whether the YouTube or the Facebook page. You can go also just type in Good Fight Radio Show and subscribe to our channel that where you get shows almost five days a week. You're getting shows on there. So um, I want to ask this question because it's really, really important. When you have people calling Jesus a false prophet, when you have people using this to try to prove preterism, when you have people using this to try to prove a lot of doctrines that simply are not biblical, we want to give the best answer possible at Good Fight Ministries for you guys. So, Lucas Veramakis out there in Frisco, Texas, asked, this is in reference to Matthew 24, where Jesus is speaking on his return in the end times. A video popped up in my newsfeed calling Jesus a liar. In Matthew 24, 34, Jesus said, this generation will not pass until all these things take place. And he claimed the events haven't taken place during that generation. Therefore, Jesus is a liar. What's the best way to respond to this? 
All right, I'm going to look at the three main responses to it, and the third response that I'm going to show you is probably the least popular, but it's actually what I believe is exactly what Jesus is talking about, and it gives, is a very profound thing that Jesus is actually saying here. Uh, there is another viewpoint that we're futurists. We believe the tribulation is yet future. We believe that's very clear in Scripture. The early church fathers didn't say, hey, the tribulation happened like preterists. They were, you know, in the aftermath of that. They're still looking forward to it in the future, like Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Hippolytus, Tertullian, and others. Uh, what I would say is that we're going to look at all three of the different arguments, but uh, I think the argument, the third one we're going to get into, is so overwhelmingly obvious when you look at what Jesus is saying, you look at in the totality of the paradigm of biblical prophecy and how it links together all the way back in the Old Testament. Very similar thing that Jesus was talking about there. And you see how deep Jesus was and you see how tied, just like the revelation of Jesus Christ, which he gave us, alludes to the book of the Old Testament hundreds of times. Okay? I mean, he's the word made flesh. Amen? And he ties together something that's really profound. But I will say this. When describing the events of the tribulation period, and actually events even preceding the tribulation that happened in his day, like the destruction of the temple. He describes the temple will be destroyed uh, and so forth, and he talks about the end times. And, and then he makes this comment, which I think is very, very powerful. Uh, when you understand it, you'll see what I'm saying in a minute. Truly I say to you, this generation, okay, the word, Greek word is Ganea, and Ganea means, can mean not just the R word just from the get-go. Our English word generation could just refer to a certain amount of time. The Greek word Ganea, as it was used by, by the Hebrew believers, by the writers in the first century, and even how it was used by others in the first century, is not limited narrowly to a, a, a period of time. Okay, that's, that's one hint right off the bat, if, if you understand the language, you know? And I'll be quoting some uh, authorities on, on, on the meaning of that word in a little bit. But uh, he says, Truly I say to you that this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And I have to admit, when I was a new believer, I'm like, hmm, Jesus, what are you saying there? But I've always followed this rule. Never throw away what you do understand because of something you don't understand. So if I don't understand something, I'm a young Christian, I hang it up and say, okay, Lord, I'll, 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 please explain that to me. I prefer in this life before I get into heaven, but your will be done because you know best, Father. So anyway, uh, what's he talking about there? Uh, what's going on there? Now, he's just described, you know, the gospel being preached in all the worlds with all the nations. He's described great tribulation like there's never been before or after. He's described his second coming and so forth uh, in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, uh, coming with angels, gathering his elect up, all these things. And then he says that. So we know he's talking about, uh, he's including the tribulation period. It's very important to understand. And uh, Chad, Chad mentioned uh, Bible skeptic Bart Ehrman. Uh, he said that Jesus made a false prophecy here. And he was a failed apocalyptic prophet. Okay, And by the way, this is going to show you right away when we look at the answer here, how guys like Bart Ehrman will just say things like this who may even know that, that there's a really strong and good valid answer, but they'll use this to get mileage to try it because a lot of these guys deep down, they don't want God to be Lord over them. They don't. They hate God Okay, because they suppress the knowledge of the truth. Uh, and I'm telling you right now, uh, he, you know, Albert Schwartz, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Schweitzer uh, had the same viewpoint. Uh, I've got a great quote here from C.S. Lewis, which is a really sick quote, actually, but it's great to show you what they're doing. C.S. Lewis said, this is the most embarrassing verse in the Bible, okay? And he felt that Jesus was ignorant of the time of his return and said this because he spoke out of his humanity, you know, not out of his deity. So he wasn't saying that Jesus, he is saying that Jesus made a false prophecy, though. And I believe C.S. Lewis uh, is really, really off there. 
But this generation, the three strongest arguments that can be allayed through this is, number one, uh, this generation refers to the people that were then living in a period of time, like 40 years, 60, 100, depending on uh, how someone wants to define it, a generation there. Uh, obviously, that, and we'll, we'll look at that viewpoint, but that obviously isn't what Jesus is referring to because of the events that he described did not take place in the first century, unless you say, oh, well, he was referring to that, but he was a false prophet. But then uh, you're not really looking at everything else Jesus taught. You're not looking at, the, at, at all the prophecies that have been fulfilled prior to his coming, and the prophecies that he's given that have since been fulfilled, like the gospel going all over the world, and Israel becoming a nation again after it was destroyed, not long after he said it would be, with not one stone to stand another. He's got all these prophecies that have been fulfilled, right? And so what's he meaning there? And if you just take the English understanding or interpretation of that word and don't realize the New Testament is written in Greek and that word has a range of meaning, then you're not really using your head. You're not really looking for truth if you just settle on that. Uh, number two, the second uh, viewpoint is this generation uh, refers to those who experienced the, tr the first of the tribulation events. So that's a popular futuristic view that uh, those beginning to begin the tribulation events uh, then are that generation and the generation that experiences the first parts of the tribulation will therefore uh, experience, uh, will not die before he comes back. That's a popular viewpoint. And it seems to have a lot of merit because some point out, well, no, when he says this generation, it has to refer to the generation that's there. No, in the Greek, it doesn't. Okay, I disagree with the viewpoint. Okay, I've entertained it myself before uh, because it looks, because it has, uh, it looks viable to a degree. But there's areas where I would never really, as a younger Christian, uh, could could really accept it based on something I'll say in a minute. The third viewpoint, which is I believe the biblical, what what's being taught in the Scripture, from the, from you know not just Tanakh but from Torah, the first five books, all the way to the end, Revelation, is that the word generation there, Ganea, uh, and G E N E A would be a transliteration. That that word refers to the not a specific time period, but the characterization of a people a class of people, how the people, the spirit of a people, what they've become like. Uh, and you'll see from the get-go, when you hear that first off, it might be like, huh, is that what's really being said there? Well, that's why we need a little bit of time here, okay? Now, you're going to trip out because I'm going to show you that this is, without a doubt, what's going on here. Uh, now, some that hold the uh, the first view I mentioned, that it's, you know, uh, or I should say one of the three views that I disagree with, that it refers to a future generation exclusively uh, would be Dr. Daryl Bach. And Daryl Bach, he's a dispensational prophecy teacher. He's actually written some really good things. I disagree with him on the time of the rapture and so forth, but I agree with him on a lot of things. Uh, Daryl Bach writes, and I'm going to disagree with his interpretation here, but uh, nevertheless, he says, what Jesus is saying is that the generation that sees the beginning of the end also sees its end. When the signs come, they will proceed quickly. They will not drag out in, for many generations. It will happen within a generation. If this view is correct, Jesus says that when the signs at the beginning of the end come, then the end will come relatively quickly within a generation. Uh, it sounds good, but I'll tell you why it doesn't work, okay? I'll tell you why it doesn't work. Is It doesn't work because guess what? When Jesus was referring to this generation, seeing these things, he wasn't just referring to the signs that lead up to the very end. And that would be all part of one generation time-wise in the end. He was also referring to the destruction of the temple. Mm. See what I'm saying? Yeah. And that doesn't work because that already happened. 
In fact, let me quote Matthew 23, 34 through 36. Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them uh, you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. Well, that happened. Read the book of Acts. You know, that, that stuff happened, you know, prior to 70 AD. Uh, so that upon you will fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth. So this has to be also applicable to Jesus' contemporaries, okay? And he says, uh, so that upon you will fall the guilt of the prophecy of, of the righteous blood shed on the earth, uh, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Be- uh, Berechiah, who uh, you murdered between the temple and the altar. Uh, thus, uh, uh, truly I say to you, these will come upon you in, truly I say to you, all these things will come upon you in this generation or upon this generation will come upon this generation. What's he talking about? This generation. That's now just to make sure you understand, he's talking about events that have already happened as well. Matthew 24, 1 through 3, just a few verses later, Jesus left the temple area and was going his way. And, and then his disciples came to the, uh, the point of the temple, uh, pointing the buildings out to him and said, But he responded and said to them, Do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. So you can't just say, Whatever starts to be seen in the future refers to that generation. When Jesus refers to all these things will come to pass, and this generation will not pass away, he's not just referring to end-time events that were still... This already happened 2,000 years ago almost. So he's also referring to that. So he can't be referring to generation as a 40, 60, or even 100-year period of time. Okay? So, uh, but you're going to see the answer. The answer is powerful, uh, and we're going to get into it. But let me just say this. The second view of Schweitzer and Bart Ehrman that, 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 you know, it already came to, you know, 40 years came and went or that generation came and went, however long they wanted to defi- try to define it, uh, is also uh, wrongheaded, okay? He wasn't referring simply to uh, his contemporaries. He wasn't referring, so it's, it, he's not referring to the futuristic view, and there's more than one futuristic view. I'm, I'm a futurist, and there's another futuristic view we share with you on this, but he's not just referring to that final generation when Jesus says that, Exclusively, but he's also not referring exclusively to the first, uh, the generation, I should say, time-wise that he's addressing. Because I don't believe he's talking about time-wise. Okay, he's not referring exclusively to them either, uh, or that period of time either. So you'll have guys like Gary Demar. He's a leading Reconstructionist, kingdom, kingdom dominionist. Doesn't believe that you know the the, the the Antichrist is coming and this new world order and globalism. He's one of those that believes, with many other Reconstructionists, that the church can take over the world. You know. Uh, which is so absolutely unbiblical. But Gary DeMar states, every time this generation is used in the New Testament, listen to this, listen to what he says, every time this generation is used in the New Testament, it means without exception the generation to whom Jesus was speaking. So he doesn't believe it can refer to a generation in the future or a generation that would be longer than those that were alive when he was just speaking. Uh, he says without exception. By the way, he says so many wrong things, okay, to push his viewpoints. That is just, I'm not going to say it's a bold-faced lie, uh, I'm going to say he just didn't use very good scholarship and he is not speaking the truth here because we have a very good example in Hebrews 3.10 when the term this generation is not used, okay? It's hategenea in the Greek and it's not used of the people that were living then. Listen to Hebrews 3.10. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. Chad, what generation is he speaking of there? He's speaking of the wilderness generation, Right. That was, you know, 1,500 years earlier. Uh, so Damar, you know, is egging his face there, and he's not giving a biblical a viewpoint. So, uh, and by the way, to say that, you know, all these things, you know, 
which the preterists will say, well, all these things that Jesus did talk about then, the full preterists did come to pass, even the second coming, you know, they'll say that. And yeah, they'll say, of course, he's a true prophet. He didn't get it wrong. But it, it was those, all those things came to pass in the first century. Problem with that is the tribulation never took place yet. I think it's to be a tribulation that says that'll be greater than anything that happened in the past and the future. Okay, what happened to the Jews in 70 AD, in 68 up to 70, is uh, the Holocaust was far worse than that. And there's been far worse tribulations around the world with far more people killed and far more anguish. So that didn't get fulfilled yet. Number two, the gospel of the kingdom we preach in uh, every nation, witness to all ethnos, every single ethnic group. We're still translating languages, uh, the gospel into different languages to this day, 2,000 years later. And the Bible, the Bible says in Revelation 14 that there'll be an angel that flies through the midheavens proclaiming the everlasting gospel. I haven't seen that recorded in history of it hasn't, having already happened. I know TBN says that they're that angel, they're satellites, but I don't think that's scriptural. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, the second coming obviously did not take place yet. Okay. Uh, when Jesus Christ comes with the mighty angels and flaming fire, nope. Uh, when Jesus Christ comes and the tribes of the earth mourn, do we have any history of the tribes of the earth, the people of the world mourning because Christ came back? No. Well, it came back in 780, many of the predators will say. That's worse than what the Jehovah's Witnesses say. Jehovah's Witnesses, at least they say 1914, which is horrific too. But to go all the way back and say he came back in 19 or in 7080, that's wrong. And by the way, on the live chat right now, I just posted the teaching you've done on the dangers of preterism. So you guys could check that out, the ah, dangers of preterism. So. Very good, Chad. And by the way, uh, Jesus, I don't believe, was speaking in terms of he thought that the end was going to be really quick, like Schweitzer and Ehrman say, because Jesus uh, himself you know, warned that his coming, there would be people saying he, he delays his coming, you know. Uh, in uh, chapter 12 of the Gospel of Luke, and also I think in Matthew 24, he spoke in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, right, you go to chapter 25, same message about the virgins that fall asleep because they're waiting for his coming. <laughs> There's going to be some uh, apparent delay, and you're supposed to take advantage of that delay because that's what they did when Moses went up to Sinai to get the, the law, right? They thought he delayed his coming, and he was taking some time, and they began to frolic and have an orgy, and then he came back in judgment. That's a picture of Christ's second coming. He's gone, oh, well, he delays his coming. He's even coming back. And guess what's happening in the church? Same kind of deal. Uh, you know, just wicked. In in Luke 17, uh, Jesus said there'll be a time where you're going you're, you're to see the coming of one of the days of the Son of Man, but it's not going to happen like that. It's not going to be as soon as they think. Uh, another point is, he said the second coming would be like a king that went on a long journey. You know, I mean, go on and on. Jesus gave us indicators over and over again that it wasn't gonna, he wasn't come back as soon as a lot of people would think that he would. And Peter tells us again the reason he does that, he's not slow concerning his, his return, but he's long suffering, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So now let's look at uh, what Jesus is saying here about, you know, this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, chapter 23, verse 37. Uh, he who kills the prophets and stones those who have been sent to her. How often I want to gather together uh, your hands, as, as, or gather together as a hen does her chicks, but you were unwilling. Behold, the house, your house has been left you desolate. Because he wanted to gather them together. That's his heart. You know, he's not one that any would perish. He's not a Calvinistic God where he wants to predetermine the greater vast humanity to hell and just pretends that he loves them. No, he wanted to gather them together as a hen does her chicks. And he says, Behold, your house has been left you desolate. And then he goes on to talk about every stone will be thrown down in the temple because of their rejection. But this is this is key to understanding. And it, right now, it may not make sense. It probably won't. Because I really believe the Lord opened my eyes to this. And, and, and the very view I share, other people share. So it's not a new interpretation. But this key verse really hit me. And I'm sure other people pointed out. I just haven't seen it. I'm sure, I'm sure they have. For I say to you now, uh, you will not see me until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. 
So he just told them that they're a wicked and adulterous generation. And he said their house will be left to them desolate. They reject the prophets that have been sent to them. That's historically true of Israel, right? Uh, which of the prophets did you not persecute? You know, Elijah, uh, you know, got us to let him know there's others that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. But that's been the history of Israel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. You know, all, all rejected. John the Baptist uh, rejected and beheaded uh, Jesus uh, crucified right after this. So, but he says, here's the key. He's calling them a wicked, adulterous generation, but he says they're not going to see him until what happens? That They say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's a change of heart that takes place. They're no, no longer that wicked and adulterous people, wicked and adulterous generation rejecting God. Okay, that's This is a huge key to understanding what's going on here and to understand what Jesus is saying here because it's really powerful and really magnificent, wonderful. I don't have the words for it, beautiful what Jesus is, is doing here because he's basically going based on the outline that was already given in the Song of Moses and the preamble to the Song of Moses way back 1,500 years before he came. And it's really amazing when you see what he's doing here because Moses already talked about this wicked generation. He didn't talk about the wicked generation just in Jesus' day, but he characterized the Jewish rejection of Yahweh as a wicked and evil generation, as a character of a people group, not a period of time. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.